You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Monster House presents... Monster Talk is proud to be a part of the Airwave Media family, home of such shows as The Daily Meditation Podcast, The Accidental Creative, and I Know What Scares You. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. The story you're about to hear is somewhat frustrating. We hear so many UFO stories where one or two people see something unusual in the sky that changes their lives but leaves no physical trace. But what if a UFO was seen by thousands and did leave physical traces and still remains a mystery? And what if this wasn't in some rural retreat but in a very urban setting? Join us today as we hear about the 1954 Florence UFO incident with investigator Massimo Polidoro. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. Maybe the hardest lesson of investigating paranormal mysteries is that you can't always know with certainty what happened. Sometimes there's just not enough to go on. Sometimes evidence is lost or destroyed. And sometimes the folklore of a story outraces any attempts to corral the facts where they can be studied carefully. Italian skeptical investigator Massimo Polidoro has certainly run into this across the hundreds of cases that he's researched. Karen and I really enjoyed having him on for some... Monster Talk. We're so excited to have you on. Um, Again, I... I, Oh, yeah, it's it. First time. Can you believe it? I know. Yes, it's, it's shameful. Yes. It's shameful. What? It, it is, yeah. We're, we're embarrassed. On our, our part, right. <laughs> Left it too long. Yeah, not, not to have you on. <laughs> well, no, to me, you're, you're sort of skeptic famous, uh, but I guess people who don't know your work should be introduced to you. Do you have a sort of standard elevator pitch for who is Massimo? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you want. I can, I can, Where do you I begin? Can do something, yes. 
<laughs> well, otherwise, I, otherwise, I will introduce you as uh, a uh, a person uh, who's trained in psychology and who works extensively with skepticism, critical thinking, and is currently spending time at Harvard. Yeah. Wow. We want to hear about that too. And you've published like a sure. thousand books. Is that right? Yeah. I think it's a thousand fifteen. Sixty-two. It's a lot. It's a lot. Wow. Sixty. Yeah. That is That's amazing. Impressive. He's got his own YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Not um, in English though. Ah, uh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, but eventually we'll get there. Well, I'm excited because the the case we're going to talk to or, or speak, <laughs> speak about today yeah. is. Mm-hmm. One of those mysterious and weird UFO stories that I hear all the time uh, yes. because so many witnesses were involved. So I'm, I'm anxious to hear uh, about this story. So can you sort of – I guess we'll just get started and hop in with – can you tell us about the UFO case in Florence in October 1954 that took place on a soccer pitch? Or a football in front field. of ten thousand people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know that day was uh, October was um, soccer. Uh, you know, soccer is very popular in Italy, and mm-hmm. it was the home team, Fiorentina, Florence team, but against the another team from another Tuscany town from Pistoia. Uh, so they were playing. But uh, what happened during the? Uh, during the, the the game was that um, some people started to look up because in the sky uh, there were two objects flying uh, very high um, and so the, even the um, the referee decided to stop the game for a few minutes so that the the players could look up and uh, and see what was going on because something unusual happened which is that. Uh, some strange white uh, substance started to fall down very slow, very similar to uh, cotton wool, um, and, and you know, and was very unusual. And some of it will disintegrate while falling, and some other could be touched, but then very easily it would disintegrate again and turn into powder. What's interesting is that a student. Um, from university uh, who had seen this and was there as a, as a witness was able to pick up a few of these uh, this uh, similar cotton wood substance and um, take it into a small bag and then take it to the chemistry institute in, um, at university in Florence. So in order to have it examined because, you know, immediately newspapers started to say that UFOs had uh, uh, gone over over Florence and uh, 10,000 people or, or probably less uh, saw them. And, and there was this substance that was um, falling down from the sky, uh, an explicable substance. So the question is, what did they see and what happened that day uh, in Florence uh, above this uh, soccer field? Well, the analysis of the the substance uh, said that it was like a, a sort of a silicious format of a cotton wool without telling exactly what what it could be one hypothesis that was uh, presented was put forward was that probably could be was an idea uh, a form of uh, spider ballooning uh, you know, there are some spiders that, in order mm-hmm. to migrate, they produce like a, a web 
uh, parachute, let's say, to make it easy <laughs> to understand. And uh, through, you know, the help of the wind, they could fly very, very high, even four kilometers in uh, in height and thousands of uh, kilometers uh, away. They could even, you know, really change countries by traveling this way. However, mm-hmm. problem is that uh, the substance of these uh, webs, uh, let's see, web, uh, web substance is, is different from the one that was examined uh, at the chemistry laboratory. Um, so it was probably something else. Maybe there, there was some falling probably because the October is the month in which this takes place, this ballooning okay. takes place. But it, it, most certainly it was not what was picked up. So mm-hmm. this be, be, uh, became a mystery, uh, especially for uh, Italian uh, uh, Italian ufologists, yeah. let's say. Mm-hmm. And so it kept on being repeated and repeated and uh, appeared there was no possible solution uh, except for thinking that UFOs flew over Florence <laughs> and left some mysterious substance over the city. Must be. Yeah. Must be. What else? What else could it Only be? Only other alternative. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were we watching the game, right? Yeah, so but <laughs> you know, very, very recently, actually, um, one Italian colleague of mine uh, from CICAP, which is the Italian Committee for the Investigation of Claims on Pseudoscience, uh, Francesco Grassi, that's about uh, eight years ago, mm-hmm. found uh, that there is actually a substance that has the same chemical structure, uh, which is um, it, should, it is called chaff. Chaff mm. is a, a material that is produced for military reasons uh, since the 1930s as a way of deflecting um, radar, uh, radar, um, radars from an enemy. Right, right. It scatters yeah. the radar signal so it exactly. doesn't, co- it doesn't exactly. come back exactly. right. right. Exactly. So they, they just throw off this substance, uh, which... Uh, Messes, messes up the, the, the enemy's uh, radars and they are able to, to fly away. I mean, the, the, the airplanes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so this would have been a possibility. So the next question was, yes, but were there airplanes doing maybe, you know, some kind of... Uh, like a, a military exercise? Or? Re- reconnaissance or... Yeah, yeah, or reconnaissance or, yeah, you know. Um, and in fact, he found out that uh, very close to Florence, uh, to the, um, in the sea, there was a um, um, an American airplane carrier. Uh, his name is USS Lake Champlain. And there mm-hmm. were a few uh, military airplane VF-84 sidewinders for those who are uh, experts on these things. And they were actually doing an exercise, let's say, on the Italian skies uh, between October 21 and October 27, which is 1954, which is the last day and the day in which the phenomena took place. So the idea is there are military airplanes. Uh, They're doing their their thing over Florence sky in the exact same day. Could it be that... uh, they were, you know, dispersing this this chaff over the sky as, as being part of the, what they were, what, what they right. had to do. It's a it's a question that, of course, today we cannot answer. We don't have, uh, we cannot go farther than this. Mm-hmm. But at least it provides a possibility and 
a reasonable alternative possibility to the idea of the UFO invasion. Right, a much more natural explanation than a lot of others that have been posited. But uh, isn't it the case that there were lots of other sightings that uh, coincided with this event, which I guess fits in with the, the explanation that you've just given too? Of course, you had sightings in America around that time. It was really the heyday for oh, those kinds yeah, of well, sightings. Of course, UFO sightings were very popular in those in those years, especially in Italy after you know the the 1947 wave after Kenneth Arnold first sighting and talking about flying saucer for the first time, and everybody was seeing flying saucers everywhere. Uh, so mm -hmm. yes, it was uh, everywhere, and people were very alert at that. And so everything that flew in the sky could be exchanged for a uh, a UFO or a, of course, as as the interpretation goes, an extraterrestrial ship flying nice. over us. So, <laughs> but uh, in that specific case, the um, you know the the, the sightings that were um, confirmed were those above the uh, the soccer field. So, um, the, the the possibility is that those two things flying could have been maybe military airplanes so right but again this is not a closed case it's still open and probably mm. will remain open but occam's razor <laughs> tells us that yeah. you know the, the the easiest explanation probably probably is correct i would, I would see occam's razor's taken down more ufos than any uh, <laughs> air defense tools that we have so Absolutely. yeah indeed <laughs> what um yeah. I, I'm curious about um, because of any kind of mass sightings you get, like when you get um, the gatherings at Fatima, you know, and you you oh, yeah. or, you, you, mm -hmm. you have like when you have thousands of people. I'm yeah. always communal reinforcement. Well, there's communal reinforcement, <laughs> but I'm also always curious about like how over time it becomes accepted that everybody saw the thing and, it, and including mm -hmm. you know if people who didn't see it were there they might feel like maybe they did see it but i don't i don't do you, do you have any sort of sense of how widely this was visible like how many people saw the stuff falling from the sky how many people saw the things in the sky or how many people just why have they stopped the game what's going on yeah we don't have actually you know data on that so we can only mm -hmm. and we can only like some guesses because it was not recorded in any way, but it went out in the newspapers the following day. And so probably many who were there maybe didn't see anything, but said, you know, yeah, something strange happened, but I, I didn't exactly see what, because that's what happens usually with this kind of events. So a few people see something strange. Others that are maybe close by are, um, you know, engaged in this uh, in, in this uh, exciting experience, and um, and they start to think about it. Yep. Yeah, so maybe I saw something. Maybe, and mm -hmm. you know, with time passing, the maybe becomes a yes, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. And the memory is, uh, as we know, is not uh, a recording. It's not something that stays exactly the same with the passing of time, but it changes. Right. And every time that we tell a story, we change it a little bit without even noticing, of course, uh, making it more interesting, more coherent, maybe. And in the end, we find ourselves with an unexplicable story that is completely different from the original one, but we have no way 
of uh, of verifying or or confirming that. True. Yeah. Has this story changed significantly over the time, or have you noticed? I know I know people's memories change, but do you, a lot of times the stories change. I'm thinking here about how things have changed in places like Roswell, embellished and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, uh, Rendlesham Forest. There's so many cases where what was reported initially is so wildly different from what gets, mm-hmm. from, you know, later on. At the time, yep. Yes, yes. Well, in this case, you know, there were uh, others that added additional sightseeing that were not even close or uh, had nothing to do with that. But uh, that's how it, it goes, you know, in order to make it even more strange, even more uh, apparently unexplicable, uh, you start to add things. And uh, in the end, if you don't get to the original reports, you have no idea of what really took place, probably took place. Right, yeah, and it seems like there were a number of eyewitnesses that day who uh, are still alive and persist in telling stories. So not only some of the, the players, but fans as well, who just seem very passionate. Uh, oh, they've, yeah. they've stuck to their beliefs. Uh, I don't know if the stories have embellished over time, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've just just in watching videos on YouTube, it seems like there are a few people who are really passionate about this story and uh, have even developed some degree of fame just by talking about it. <laughs> well, that's quite common, as you yeah. as you know very well, because uh, once you are a part of an incredible story, you, you want to tell everybody. And as I, as I yeah. said, uh, you, you make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more uh, coherent, a little bit more uh, uh, rich with details that were not there in the beginning. And Absolutely. you come up with a fantastic story that, uh, as we said, uh, probably... It's completely different from what happened mm-hmm. in the first place, but it's so exciting and so um, uh, you know it gives you so much satisfaction to be at the center mm-hmm. of this thing that uh, you don't see the problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> True. Help us help an American audience understand what is yeah. the what's the newspaper culture like in Italy. Uh, I, I I get a vibe that there are and at that time well and at that time true hmm. yeah it was like I'm, I'm like we run into a lot of things where you get one kind of coverage in the mainstream papers and another kind of coverage in the tabloids you know yes. so do do did you get a sense for how this story broke at that time and what the sort of like was it picked up by the every newspaper was... or was it more of a fringy kind of thing. Um, it would, it would, it was picked up by by some uh, national newspapers. Yes, um, in Italy we don't have a tradition of uh, tabloids, so it's mainly um, you know regular newspaper like we would have here, uh, making the due difference and the due uh, proportions. What uh, the Washington Post, the, the, the New York Times, mm-hmm. of um, the equivalent, let's say in Italy, some of those gave the uh, the news as well um it was uh, something odd that happened and, and it was reported like that uh, but of course being an age in which ufos were everywhere and everybody was seeing ufos and initially 1954 is a special year for mm-hmm. ufos um you, you you find the the word ufo in the titles of course how popular is the belief in UFOs today in Italy? Because it seems like that uh, it could very easily set up a firm tradition of interest in in that topic. 
Oh, it's very popular. Not be, not much because of this episode or other Italian episodes, but mainly because today we see uh, a return of the um, mass interest in UFOs from the Pentagon uh, videos, from the uh, Commission. You know, the, all the public. Uh, um, Events that have been taking place, especially in uh, in um, in America, and mm-hmm. so that helped a lot in uh, reviving the whole uh, UFO scene in Italy. But uh, what we see today is uh, well, in a way, it's similar to some episodes that were also evident back then. But mm-hmm. today is much more clear that those who are become very strong believers in UFOs are not interested in the scientific uh, aspects of the uh, of what they could be uh, or if they have a possible explanation. It becomes a sort of a, a substitute of uh, religion. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, because uh, the belief is there and it's uh, unshakable and you cannot discuss uh, about po- possible alternative explanation with these uh, persons because uh, to them it's true. And if you doubt about it, you are, uh, you know, like uh, paid by someone in order to (laughs) discredit the whole field. And um, Mm -hmm. so you have uh, hidden reasons and because uh, everybody knows that this is really extraterrestrials. And as I said, it's becoming a form of a religion because uh, Mm -hmm. to many in Italy and and in many other places, of course, in the United States, um, uh, traditional religions becomes less and less let's say, believable, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, acceptable in a scientific and technological age like we live in. And uh, instead, thinking about creatures that are superior to us and in a way created us maybe um, thousands or millions of years ago um, and gave birth to civilization uh, and they still observe us and maybe protect us from... uh, uh, going the wrong way becomes, you know, a substitute of the God that is much more difficult to accept in a in a in a technological society. But the UFOs are quite acceptable. Well, the, we we see a lot of parallels there, and not just in UFOs. Yeah. I think maybe even uh, in cryptozoology. I think in some mm-hmm. ways, Bigfoot. It, maybe yeah. Bigfoot has become sort of a nature religion in some ways, yeah. and yeah. and the mm-hmm. UFOs, like you say, they they sort of are a uh, they, give, they give you a secular spiritualism. But yeah. 
And this, on the one hand, I, I know that there's people who are doing research, uh, I'm thinking of like Pasolka, who are saying there's a new religion emerging. But you could also look back and say, well, all the original uh, contactees were basically riffing on theosophy. I mean, they were doing sort of a theosophical oh, yeah. take on space space brothers who were coming to uh, mm-hmm. you know protect the earth and deliver us from ourselves and yeah. uh I, mm. I i think that, that i think that religion stuff is not very well hidden i think uh i think it's yeah. it's not deep below the surface it's right up there at the top <laughs> oh, oh yes oh yes absolutely and there is a lot as you say a lot of interesting research um uh, especially on how our uh, supernatural beliefs uh, are, um, you know, not only uh, born and present um, in, in, uh, in humankind, uh, but also because uh, mm, we see that uh, avoiding or prohibiting even religion, there are so many examples, and uh, the USSR is one of them. Uh, if you even prohibit religion, it does not take away the um, a supernatural urge to explain the world in a in a, mm. in, a, in, a well in, in a supernatural way because uh, that was something that uh, um, was um, helpful was uh, um, towards survival. I mean, in the evolution of, uh, mm-hmm. of our species, because uh, if you start to see things in nature around you, if you start to uh, find meaning even when there is no meaning, um, you have more possibilities of surviving because uh, eventually sometimes there are meanings there to be to be seen. And if you are alert to them, you, you see them. Many times there are no meanings and there are no intentions in what, what is taking place. But um, mm-hmm. the, the possibility of missing one of those useful links uh, is uh, much more... Um, Let's say it's, it's, uh, it's much more important not to miss it rather than, uh, you know, not see it when it's there because uh, you risk of not surviving and not leaving to your uh, uh, descendants the same trait and, and you will not uh, and they will not survive, of course. And, and those who have a strong fantasy, let's say, and uh, start to imagine that there is a danger even when there is none. You know they're more likely to survive because if you don't see the danger, and the danger once in a while is there, you get eaten by uh, the tiger or whatever it is <laughs> hiding behind the bush, and uh, uh-huh. you're not uh, you're not uh, giving the, that same kind of uh, uh, skeptical let's say approach to your descendants. Mm. We, we've talked a bit of, like I, I I've come to the conclusion that. Skepticism and irrational thinking are, are kind of a technology, and they have to be taught and they have to be practiced. Yeah. And if yeah. you, mm-hmm. if you don't do those things, you know, then they just don't become part of your tool set. Like they're not there for That's you right. when you need them. So like you yeah. have to Maintained. hone them. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. It's a chore. Yeah. Skepticism is a chore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, like science, because it's uh, counterintuitive. You have really to, you know, doubt in things. It's it's it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a job. It's, uh, it's yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't come easy to us. We are prone to believe because uh, you know we have this. It is called truth default mechanism that leads us to accept things that are said to us because it would be 
too expensive to doubt everything to mm -hmm. you know oh it's also super annoying I, <laughs> oh, yeah. super annoying yeah. you will find yourself you know isolated in a group and that's right yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. but people roll their eyes <laughs> I did want to just circle back to the, the event in uh, October 1954 just once more. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Massimo, if, if there's a lot of video on uh, YouTube and elsewhere uh, that purports to be from this event. So are you aware of any surviving footage or no. photographs? No, it's, uh, it's, it's probably made up because there's nothing... Uh, it was not filmed and it was not photographed. It, it happened so quickly that uh, uh, it is not like today that we have, uh, you know, cell phones and we are ready to take yes. pictures. Right. It, it was a time where owning uh, a camera was was a big deal, mm -hmm. and uh, you certainly would not, uh, um, you know, film uh, things that are not your family or, or or what is important to you. Well. Yeah, that puts things in a yeah. whole new light. There's yeah. a lot of information yeah. that's out there. Well, really for sure. Yeah. Well, it's it. I, I'll tell you. Every time I hear this this case, I'm always brought back to think about some of the more Fortean phenomena because the stuff falling from the sky, it was described as being silver or glittery. But uh, mm -hmm. people people immediately roll to hair. angel hair and angel yeah, hair. Angel hair. Angel hair is a Fortean thing. That's more like star jelly yeah. or what they call powder. I don't know how, actually how it's pronounced. Pow powder sear or this. Mm -hmm. Online guides suggest the Welsh term is closer to pudra sear, also known as the rot from the stars, which is both a fascinating Fortean topic to which I will link in the show notes, as well as a superb band name if someone hasn't already snagged it. Yeah, but that that concept of uh, either some substance falling from the sky, uh, mm -hmm. and, and and that's what I always hear people ascribing it to, but. Mm -hmm. Uh, the actual silvery part doesn't sound like that at all. It doesn't sound like the Fortean no. thing. And different things. Even John have you seen some of the pictures online? Look like that, uh, like ectoplasm, like pictures from yeah. And I don't, seances. I don't think any of those are or uh, from the actual yeah. case. I don't think. And, yeah, right. well, apparently not. But but they get labeled and you, they get a well. It was like that werewolf case where there's the woman's photo that was associated with it, where it had nothing to do with anything. But on the internet, things can become entwined, and it's kind of like a, what is it uh, in quantum physics where you have like two particles that are entangled? It's the, like yeah. this, this, this nonsense can get entangled with the real stuff, and they just get dragged <laughs> along. Uh, yeah. So I kind of hate that, but it's uh, the 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 whole thing about it might be chaff is really interesting. I, I'd like to mm. hear more about that because uh, John Keel even ran into some cases like that, and of course yeah. it, it sounded exactly like chaff. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it fit everything, and then he was like, mm, "But it's probably not chaff. It was probably mm. it was probably chaff. It was." <laughs> Got to sort the wheat from the chaff, right? That's right. Nice, <laughs> yeah. Karen. That should have been my yeah. joke. Oh, uh, <laughs> learning from you. Oh my God, I, I, I'm going to just slink off in shame now. Okay. <laughs> uh. Blake is very well known for his puns. Let's uh, uh, put it that way. That's yeah. true. That's true. Well, well, tell us uh, while, while we have you here, because yeah, and we need to have you back because you've covered so we, much stuff. We do. And, yeah, but we do. Well, to, tell us why are you at Harvard? What's going on? Well, you know, this is a great um, opportunity, of course. I've, yeah, I, I am. Um, you know, I needed to to, to take a, let's say a sabbatical uh, because I've been. Uh, doing a lot of work for, for a long time, as, as I mentioned before. 
I, I started with uh, Randy. I was his apprentice when I was 18. Uh, so it's been, and, I, and my first book I wrote when I was there with him in, uh, in Florida. And, wow. And I never stopped since then, writing books, giving lectures, uh, holding courses, uh, and now social media, of course, it takes a lot of time. Um, so I, you know, every once in a while you need to stop and, and think about things. And, um, and so in, uh, in looking around, I, I was talking with uh, uh, Professor Naomi Reskes. She's the historian of science here at uh, Harvard the Department of the History of Science uh, and the author of Merchants of Doubt. Oh, I know that book, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. I'm sure. And, uh, and so in talking, she said, why don't you come here? <laughs> Which, uh, you know, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Invitation. Oh, yeah. How could you? So, so that's why mm -hmm. I'm here because of that um, fantastic invitation. And I'm here also to do some uh, research and to do some uh, uh, to go deeper into some subjects that are really a pet of mine, one of which is uh, uh, the relationship between um, magic and science. Mm. Magic meaning uh, prestidigitation, magic like in Brandon, Copperfield, and you know, magic, Houdini, um, Houdini magic. And uh, at Harvard, in Boston especially, uh, there was a very famous episode that took place in the 1920s when. Uh, uh, the Scientific America examined uh, Boston medium Marjorie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And Houdini was a member of that uh, committee examining oh. her. Yes. We, we so... would definitely like, okay, listen, I, I've been <laughs> wanting to talk Sounds about like that. another episode. Yeah, you should definitely come back and talk about oh, yeah. that if oh, you've done yeah. research. I will tell you all about it. Yeah, no, that's such a cool, <laughs> we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the full hour. We'll take a full hour because yeah. there's a lot okay. to cover in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. So, but there is a, a very interesting relationship between science and magic. I would say from the 18th century with the mesmer and magnetism to the 20th century with parapsychology and the, and the paranormal, and before that with spiritualism, uh, which is now less uh, strong, let's say, because very often it was magicians, not scientists, who saw deception and mm -hmm. were helpful and you know like instruments like a, a telescope or a microscope uh, to the scientists in order to um, ascertain the what was really going on yeah well that marjorie case is quite an interesting oh, yeah. one. I've, I've read a couple oh, of books it about it so mm -hmm. yeah i would be very happy to talk about that and uh, yeah. you're right that that uh, well, and that's what Randy never stopped talking about was that the scientists' biggest problem is they can easily be fooled themselves, and they need to yeah. have someone trained mm -hmm. in deception to help them sort of get through those weeds. Yeah, uh, don't like to say that they don't know either. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's I think it, yeah. that's another sort of uh, I think one of the perils of uh, too much skepticism is it can leave you uh, sort of it's difficult to make decisions sometimes because. Mm -hmm. Certitude is not something that comes to you if you once you really start sort of dissecting things. You, you know, have to make those sort of you have to use heuristics and kind of get through it because oh, yeah. eventually yes. you got to make a decision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eventually, yes. So. Uh, well, Massimo, it's just been delightful having you on the show. Oh, my finally, pleasure, really. <laughs> and we're gonna have to have you back again. Uh, but in the meantime, yes. we always ask our guests this final question, a signature question: mm -hmm. What's your favorite? What's your favorite monster? 
<laughs> well, my favorite monster, I would say, it's probably Dracula. Ooh, okay. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And that's some sort yeah. of werewolf or something? What's uh, Dracula, <laughs> Dracula is a vampire. Oh, he's teasing. Quite, 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 quite teasing. But yeah, no, that was that's, our previous guest that we just had on uh, was talking about uh, the English village of Whitby, which figures mm-hmm. prominently in the book. So this is very topical. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, legends associated with Dracula. Uh-huh. Is is Dracula popular in Italy? Not specifically, but um, uh, for one uh, documentary, I I had to sp- the occasion of spending some time in Romania and uh, in Transylvania and uh, tracing the origins of the the myth that was uh, eventually. Uh, caught by Bram Stoker for his book, uh, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's very interesting, you know, to um, to find the historical roots of something that is a complete fiction, of course. Yeah, that has some, uh, uh, let's say, some um, um, hints of of truth, not in the fact that <laughs> vampires mm-hmm. are real, but that uh, a figure like. Count Dracula was inspired by a real historical figure, uh, Vlad mm. Tsepesh, um, mm. who was a typical, uh, you know, king of the time, very ruthless and very blood-seeking, but not, you know, to drink the blood, yes. even if there are uh, tales of him drinking the blood of his enemies uh, in order to make him more despicable. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, and this is another aspect of the whole story, which is the birth of uh, um, of, of fake news back then. <laughs> oh yeah, because sure. you know, the print was just beginning, and it, it, there were already booklets and pamphlets uh, uh, filled with fake stories that were needed in order to uh, put a bad light on your enemy. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we think, you know, yeah, yeah. also, mm-hmm. yes. But outrageous, outrageous uh, fake news, like he was drinking the blood of his enemies and whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and of course, the other thing is that the name itself, Dracula, probably came from the fact that Vlad was a member of this uh, group uh, and was called uh, Dracul, son of the, of the dragon. Um, so there are many, many interesting historical uh, things that are there apart from the you know from the story itself which is a fantastic uh, story oh yeah and that's yet another topic we have to treat as well, well. It, it, true and, and i think in that i think with vampires we especially see a lot of that interplay between fiction and folklore and and what people actually report so i, I we're, we're always interested in the ways that that sort of people can write novels and it will influence how people actually experience the the weird and the paranormal. Like, oh, like yeah, it, movies. It, and... it feels like it sort of creates that. I, think, I call it a like socially available template, but yet it seems to like drive a lot of what people experience. It's very weird. I like it. It's very interesting. <laughs> and it draws and it draws also maybe on on other aspects of the uh, tradition because in uh, Romania I found out you know talking with the people there and the historians there that. Uh, there is a belief that the dead can, you know, in a way, wake up and uh, create problems to the living ones, and so they they used to um, put a, really a stake through through their body in order to stop them in the coffin. Uh, so it's not, uh, you know, all make believe. There were people really believing this stuff, and uh, 
and, and you can find them, yes. Well, that's the yeah, that's another one of those vampire things. It's you drove the stake in not because it turns them to dust like in the movies. You, you drive the stake in because it pins them to the bottom of the coffin. That's where they stay, you know. So yeah, it's it's a, anyway. It it it, yeah. it is fascinating, and there's so many mm-hmm. monsters. There's so much lore, and we love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But uh, thank you for t- taking the time to talk to us today. This was thank really you interesting. Yes. You know, it's my thank pleasure. You. Really, really enjoyed this. And uh, g- good luck at Harvard. That's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, that's Thank you exciting. Uh, next time we will meet, I'll tell you the whole story. Yes, yes. Oh, look forward to it. <laughs> we will, we will. Please, please do talk to us. And uh, people can see you upcoming in October at PsyCon in oh, yeah. Vegas. Uh, yes, absolutely. We, we're going to have um, well a workshop with my friend Richard Wiseman with Ray Hall. Oh, uh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. that, that'll be fun. Okay. About mm-hmm. magic, of course. Yeah, well, and, uh, Wiseman's always Wonderful. good for a pun, too. Yeah. He, he knows a pun or two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Tell him we said hello. What? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, please I do. <laughs> yes. Um, All right. Well, well, have a great evening. Thank you again. Yeah, have a great night. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. You just heard an interview with Massimo Polidoro talking about the 1954 Florence UFO incident. You can see Massimo live this month along with Richard Dawkins, Penn and Teller, and Bill Nye by going to the Center for Skeptical Inquiries, CSICon. CSICon will be in Las Vegas October 26th through the 29th at the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Just go to csiconference.org to learn more. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for including us in your listening life. been a Monster House presentation.
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.